For 30 years, Aaron Farley and his drag persona, Minnie Cooper, have been entertaining audiences from Oxford Street to Oxford Circus. A happy accident in 2003 saw Farley fall into the art of drag and a new diva was born. Miss Minnie Cooper is an enamoured part of the drag industry and a recipient of more drag industry variety awards, divas, than just about anyone and has been awarded Entertainer of the Year on a record number of four occasions. This new dimension in Farley's career followed an established position in many commercial musical productions throughout Australia, including The Witches of Eastwick, Showboat, Crazy For You, Chicago and Singing In The Rain. It all commenced with a triumphant debut in the dance hit Hot Shoe Shuffle, the phenomenon created by choreographer David Atkins that conquered stages in Australia and the UK. Successful turns as a choreographer and director have also allowed Farley to flex his creative muscle, teaching a new legion of performers and constructing engaging artistry for audiences. Mr Farley and Miss Cooper joined the illustrious lineup for the inaugural Sydney International Cabaret Festival. He hosts the Late Night Cabaret Lounge at the Seymour Centre on the debut evening of the festival. Aaron Farley joined stages to discuss his drag persona, his passion for performance and all that glitters. I'm a hoarder with drag because I never know when I'm going to need it. Uh, what, save it for a rainy day? Yeah, you never know when I'm going to need that. And the minute I throw it out, then I need it. Do you recycle much? Yes, I, try, I do now. Well, that's the thing, I guess. Um, is drag an expensive occupation? Well, yeah, it is. You don't... It's funny. They play... It's almost like we're... Um, Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. like Stockholm Syndrome, the, the, the club scene. You get treated this certain way and you can't break it, even though we're treated not well. And what we put in... It's like Stockholm Syndrome. You can't fight the system. Right. Cause, and it's a bit like if you don't like it, you get out. That's why people don't normally don't stay in it. Very long. Yeah, because they don't nurture... If you're there... It doesn't matter how talented... You get paid the same as someone new or someone old. There's no pay rate or... And when you get older... Well, that's, that's theatre generally, isn't it? There's yeah. no... For longevity, there's no well, um, pay same. rides or anything or seniority exactly. or... No, there isn't. Right. But yeah, they did... Oh, well, I did, they did it a little bit, I think. I think I got paid... A little bit more than some people, but it was probably getting $50 or something. Right. Getting that $50 off Kirby was uh, tough. Were you with Penny Williams? No. Oh. No, no. Oh, you were there as an actor? Yeah. Right, right. She was tough on that. Yeah, no, yeah. And and a real character too. You don't see well, I know. a lot of those characters anymore. I know. It's, yeah. it's really changed the whole musical theatre thing, hasn't it? It's like yeah. just... I couldn't get it because Mary Poppins came about and I thought I was going to it was at a point where I it wasn't enjoying doing drag and I thought I might want to go back and do theatre I couldn't get an audition oh really yeah well I suppose you sort of when you, when you go, leave the scene for a while the, uh, yeah. I mean the theatre scene yeah. there's a whole bunch of new graduates coming out of all the schools every year yeah and um, that's they get the look-ins or whatever because yeah. they're cheaper too I guess yeah yeah, yeah. So what, what's your, the outlay for a drag queen? Is it the proper term, drag queen, drag yeah. performer? Yeah, drag queen. Yeah. Is it is it expensive? I mean, you talk about recycling costumes. You've always got to buy materials to make your gear and yeah, and your music tracks. And yeah, it all costs money. Yeah. Like you do a lot of value in kind, which I've only just discovered that term. Are you recording this? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realise we'd started. <laughs> it's it's I only discovered this term value in kind, where you do all this work for free you don't get paid for rehearsals and a lot of the time because you're of your own pride you put in your own money 
Well, you get a budget to say it's $1,500, but a wig can cost $300 and there's three of you. That's not going to cover everything. But as a producer, you get a... a, a to produce yeah. a show. What to produce a show. To show right? Yeah, you get like a, a budget of $1,500. And then you've got to divvy up. That's, that, goes that's to, That goes to music, wigs, costume. And salary. No, not salary. Not that's salary, just right. to produce the show. You, right. Your salary is separate. Now, I feel like I'm talking to two personalities here. Who am I? Uh, I'm going to talk to Aaron during this, aren't I? And we'll, we'll talk can, about Minnie. Yeah, well, you know, it's one of the same. Minnie's just a, person, a character. That's, it's like having a, a name, a character role, right. and it's a role I play. And if you speak to me off stage, I'll speak to you exactly the same, no matter if I'm dressed up or not. Oh, really? Okay. The same person. Right. Yeah. So does, does Minnie have her own persona? Or well, to a certain extent, I think it's just a, I think it's a highlighted version of myself. Right. It's fundamentally who I am, but in a heightened way. My humour, I'm a bit mean sometimes. I like to speak the truth. That's the good thing about drag. It's, it's a truth. You can speak the truth and get away with it. Do you feel more confident when you're in drag? Well, you get away with a lot more. Right. You do. It's just part of it. It's, just, it's like a real, it's like having this great, oh, what is it? It's the one thing I believe you can be in drag and you can say anything you want and you can almost get away with it. Because right. everyone goes, oh, it's just a drag queen. It's really people's perception. It's not me, but it's people's perception of drag. But you know, the, uh, I mean, if you hark back centuries, you know, the court jester. Exactly. That's we, what we, we are. Was able to, yeah, you're yeah, court jesters, aren't you? That's exactly what we are. Right. Exactly what we are. And we can speak truth. You can speak truth to power in some way and, or pretty much get away with it. Because so, Yeah, they're scared of you. People are scared of you. It's really big. Yeah, no, it is true. Yeah. Drag queens can be scary. Oh, it's like it's clowns. Like, yeah, it's scary. like a psychological thing. You, no matter, and I've just experienced this all the time, walking into a room, if nobody's ever met you, they, they have, when you walk into drag, they have an opinion right. of what they believe it is. And I can change that once they get to know me because they'll think, oh, bitch, scary. It's, it's really weird. It's, it's quite fascinating. It's a quite powerful thing to have, actually. It's going to make fun of me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I probably will. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how long have you been playing Minnie? How long uh, for Minnie 16 years. So Minnie's only sweet 16? Oh, God, I'm glad that you think that's young. Well, yeah, she's pretty young. I'm not so young because I'm 47. Right. So I started doing drag quite late. You'll have to have a, um, a sweet 16th birthday oh, yeah, that's for, for Minnie Cooper. There that's, you go. You oh, it's just passed because it was in May. All right. Um, so, so look, legend has it that Minnie was abandoned as a baby and, and left in the doorway of Ark Nightclub, and then thankfully adopted and raised by drag queens who taught her about miming, glitter lipstick, platform heels, and everything in between. I think that's a fabulous backstory. <laughs> None of it's true, but None it's a good. It's but it's an urban myth. I love an urban myth. So you've only been doing it sixteen years. Yeah. How did you fall into drag? Well, I was a, worked in professional school theatre from eighteen to thirty-one. And I used to choreograph the drag shows for the drag queens, so I got to know them that way. And then Chelsea Bunn, who I used to do shows for, uh, someone had gone away and nobody liked working with her. <laughs> so she asked me to work with her and I thought, I'm in between jobs and a bit of extra cash. And still 16 years later, I'm in between jobs. <laughs> wow. Because you'd, so, been, you'd been yeah. an actor, a performer, yeah. and you were choreographing. So... It wasn't too daunting about putting on a wig and heels and no. being someone else. And it was actually really funny. Well, it's so funny. I've actually always loved drag ever since I was a child. 
Like I've always loved dressing. I've never wanted to be a girl, but I've always no. loved girly things. And that's like the spectrum of sexuality is so weird. I don't feel like a woman, but I like putting on women's clothes and performing in women's clothes. What about people like Danny Larue and Barry Humphreys, Dame Edna, and all that. Are you a fan of all those? Sorts yeah, of totally. Yeah. 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 Like Dame Edna, I think is a mate. Like Dame Edna, you almost believe is a real person. Yeah. It's that believable. Yes. But he too doesn't call himself that he does drag, which is weird. I find that weird, but you're dressing in women's clothes, it's drag. Yeah, no, he likes to refer to himself as a character actor who. Yeah. Because I suppose Edna's not the only character, character he does, that he plays. Yeah, but so. fundamentally, drag comes from Shakespeare, yep. dressed roughly as a girl, and you can't change history. Yeah, it's yeah, drag. Exactly. <laughs> he may still disagree, but it's still drag. So, so drag really, it was a happy accident rather than yeah. a planned career move. Yeah, but I always loved it. So I thought, is I think it's when you, I think when you live an authentic life, those things just come to you. Because obviously, I had an attraction to it, so I was drawn to it. So it just sort of came about that way. Right. And what about the name, Minnie Cooper? The Minnie, I well, you always have to have a good name. And I saw Minnie Mouse on a wall while I was eating some lunch. And I loved the movie, The Italian Job, all about the Minnie Cooper cars. And I thought, oh, that's a cool car. And that's how I came up with the name. Oh, great. Yeah. The original film with Michael Caine? And no, it was the Noel second Coward. one with, um, oh, what's her name? She was in Monster, I can't think of her name. Beautiful actress. Charlize Theron, Theron that's the one. Yeah. So where did you grow up? Are you a Sydney boy? Oh, Western Suburbs of Sydney, Granville. Granville? Right. Yep. Okay. Granville Train disaster, then there was me, I always say. <laughs> you were the other Granville disaster. I'm a walking disaster. A beautiful one, a beautiful disaster. So did that, we involve that or have family members involved uh, with the disaster I, or neighbours? No, I don't really, to be honest. There was no fa- All I remember, it's funny, I was talking about it just the other day. All I can remember is my mother telling my brothers not to go down and look at the accident. That's all I can remember. I was like five. Right. So yeah. it's very, four, I might have even been four or five. I was right. very young. Yeah. Horrible moment in, in yeah. Sydney. Yeah, and people still remember it today. It's quite amazing. Yeah. So what was school like? Did school, you enjoy it? Yeah, you know what? School wasn't that bad for me. It's like, I think I, I did get bullied about my, really about my skinny legs because I have these skinny, scrawny legs and knobbly knees. And that was the only insecurity I got from school that I can remember, I think I had a pretty easy considering I was a pretty gay boy that loved Barbie singing and dancing. Yes, in the Western suburbs. I know. City, yeah. I'm pretty surprised I came around. So came were you out. bullied or? Well, not really, no? no. When I, got, I got, did the school musical, everybody thought I was a star. So it was, I became cool when I got into year 10. It was really weird. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was considering at the time of the, like, the late 80s, like... So was it a lot of mixed cultures at the yes. school? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they're all dealing with their own um, minority complex, yeah. I suppose. And my, the school I went to, a couple of years later, it's, it became really rough, apparently, and there were stabbings and everything. So I think I grew up right at the right time. What was the school play you did? Uh, Bye Bye Birdie. I'm, oh, were you Birdie or Albert? No, I was Birdie. Right. Oh. No, Brian McGorry got Albert. Did you want to play Albert? No, not in particular. Did you want to play Rose? Well, Kim McAfee, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, was there much of a, an artistic outlet at school? Was it just school shows? Well, there wasn't really a big artistic outlet at school. It was, that was the first musical the school ever did. And probably the only one. And um, I did dance. I grew up going to dancing so I had that outlet on the weekend and that's all I cared about school was just biding my time to get out yeah. I realised as I got older right. it's really did, weird how did you start dance? 
Um, my mum just saw me dancing around the house and thought, and she liked entertainment, she loved Hollywood movies, so she just took me to dance class. I didn't even actually really ask, she just took me, right. which is nice. So your brothers, I guess they were sporty or oh, artistic? or no, me, me and I, my brother are chalk and cheese. So. Oh, my, I am like nothing like my family, how they are sports orientated. Like my father didn't have much time for me because I did dancing because he loved sport. Right. So... I was always a bit of a loner and still am today. I've always lived in my own sort of fantasy world. I always say I'm still living the same life as I was at six as I am at 47. Like, I haven't changed. Right. It's really weird. Right. I, I do. I think my world is a bit fantasy orientated. My life is a musical. <laughs> <laughs> you burst into song occasion. Oh, always. There's no better way to tell a story than through song, I say. So, so who were the influences in your childhood? Are they personal or, or public? You know, movie stars or oh, a teacher or... You know, like, it's quite funny. Like, Judy Garland had a big impact on me and Gene Kelly and all those kind of people. And you know, MGM musical. Oh, that is yeah. all I... I was just drawn to that and loved that. Because every Sunday afternoon, they'd be on that. That's what I do all weekend as well. Movie matinee. Exactly. I'd watch all those movies and it would just... It like, gave me hope. That's what I wanted to be in Technicolor. I wanted my life to be Technicolor and it is now. Just like Dorothy when she went over the rainbow. It is. It's, it's yeah. weird. I call that my Bible, my religion, the Wizard of Oz. It's quite weird. Yeah. Well, it, it is. Um, you can understand why it's such a, a, a huge uh, gay Bible, if you like. Yeah. Or re- reference point oh, for a lot of uh, totally. yeah, queens because it, they relate the, to the outsider and, and the loner. And, and the, it's, yeah. it's psychological. The story's psychological, I believe. It gets into your psyche about being different yeah. and people still loving you, but... You get to go home in the end too, hopefully. And that iconic song, you know, somewhere over the rainbow. Yeah. You know, there's a it's a colourful, wonderful place. And you know, gay pride, etc. You know, oh. the rainbow flag, which oh no, is exactly. so central to to everybody's. And what else I found out as I've gotten older, I've really my performance is really, I've really subconsciously taken on psychologically the way they perform as well. I think. Yeah that old style of performance okay. like Judy Garland I think is an amazing actress and I can study her for hours and watch her mm. and look at the technical side of it as well as the what people see why they like it mm. it's really interesting did you collect cast albums no but I was given a heap when my uh, gay uncle died mm. I got a heap of cast albums that's when I really found my love of uh, Broadway musicals more because I only really had been influenced by Hollywood musicals, not necessarily shows like Sweet Charity and shows like that. West Side Story, oh, I used to listen to that over and over again. So you had a gay uncle? Yes. So I guess... Um, I didn't know he's gay. I just, oh, you didn't know at the time? No, but, but I you, know. Your mum obviously did, or your dad. Your well, it was my mum's brother, right. and I don't think she... Because there was... This, this is, this is, you know, with being gay, shame comes with it, and it's from my uncle dying, actually. Because I remember my uncle passing away and my mum being so upset and I really, and they said, because it was the time of the AIDS epidemic. Oh, did you? Oh, don't well, right. yeah, I yeah. think so. I don't officially know. We were told it was cancer. Right. But he, inherit, he inherited money off a man. These are all the things I know. So I've just... So put, you're just putting two and two together. I've put it yeah. together. And I remember my mum crying, saying that my auntie Lorraine said he died of AIDS right. and my, how devastated my mother was. So that entail me being very young and at 15 16 you're very sensitive to everything's around you because you're just forming your you realize you're not like everyone else mm-hmm. and you have no representation especially 
at that time. And all I saw at that time was the Grim Reaper AIDS. It was not a great time to grow up no, and be gay, no. especially a young gay person. I think that's, I've, all that time has created a lot of shame for me, that, all that sort of stuff. So does it was, did it make the bond between you and mum a bit stronger, perhaps? Or was um, there... It's weird. I mean, the fact that she recognised that you like to dance and put you into dance school. Yeah, it's really weird. But but in the saying that she had so much care for me, I didn't want to disappoint her either because her, her being so upset, it was it's a, such a visceral emotion for a 15-year-old because my mother was so kind. Yeah. So to see her so upset, and and I think sometimes they think it's just a phase. My mother used to say, oh, it's just being trendy to be gay. Right. So even though she was kind, she sort of still didn't understand yeah. That it's the way you're born. You don't have a choice. Well, She's a better great, now. Great deal of ignorance, I suppose, until yeah. you educate yourself about. And I think a part of the time, most of the time, it is just ignorance. Yeah. yeah. I just saw a thing today where they wanted in Scotland where they educate kids on being gay, so that when they grow up, they are, the straight people know what it's about. They're not so scared of it. I think it's really healthy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's a brave new world. Yeah. Do you remember the first big musical that you saw? Yeah, did Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Was that Jason? With... No, Jason Donovan did in the West End. No, he no, it's David before. Dixon. No. Was it David Dixon? No. no. Oh, you, who'd you say? Angela Reyes. We're going back years. As the narrator? Yeah, okay. that's how long. I was really young. It, it was, was at the Joseph. Fi- don't know. I couldn't tell you that. All I know, all I remember is Angela Reyes was the narrator. Yeah. It must have been in the 80s. Right. And then the next big musical I saw was Les Mis, and that was what I knew, that's when I knew that's what I wanted to do. But there was no tapping or anything. It didn't Les matter, Mis, but it no. was the it was the because it was the power of the song and the storytelling. Oh, and when I look back at it now, and I even watch a clip of Deborah Byrne, it's one of my I think it's a, her. Well, she's the best Fontaine ever. Oh, it's the storytelling and song. I know she lived the life, but still, it's she doesn't belt it out like a show tune. Like the, now, it's like a party piece. You go watch the show, and they're all yeah, belting belt, it. Belt, belt. But she doesn't belt it out. It's so it is extraordinary performance. I think it's beautiful. Everyone should watch it. YouTube it. YouTube it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, these kids today. I mean, when we grew up, I guess we had access to cast recordings. We'd read yeah. everything, devour everything that we yeah. could get our hands on and listen to. Um, and now, you know, we work with kids and. They don't take advantage of YouTube and the rabbit holes that you can go down to and the performances that you can see. And the thing is, it's all about, they've got so much choice and you only look at it if you really want to now. Where we were forced, not forced upon us, but we all sat around the telly and we all had a common interest. Yeah. It's really interesting cultural change. So um, how old were you when you took your first dance class and who was, who was your teacher? I did a little bit of ballroom dancing prior to that, that must have been about six or seven. But when I was nine, I went to the Cherie Weatherall. Oh, what was it called? Cherie Weatherall dancing, and it was Cherie. She was a funny lady. And in the end, it was so funny because I must have had just natural tapping feet. I've got videos of me where I tap dance better than the teacher. It's really odd, but I must have just had a natural flair for tap dancing. I think that's why that, that teacher in Billy Elliot is so wonderful. She's sort of the. The, the person who would like to have been a performer but didn't quite get there but now is is I'm not stuck teaching kids obviously there's a passion for it as well but there's also a and what I love about Billy Ellie is that she saw something in him yeah and that's what I think of that's what you want you want some sort of champion that is going yeah. to support and, and I think and sometimes nurture. that's being a good teacher is when you see things in other people and lifting those kids up to achieve things yeah I think it's really important because I think sometimes it's all about, especially in dancing, it can be very much so. You're not good enough. 
you're not good at that. It's always this negative thing instead of a positive lifting as well. I think it's, it's, it's a tricky thing to do. So was there a career aspiration to be a performer then? I mean, I assume so because... All you know, I ever wanted to do. Right. I used to choreograph shows in my bedroom. I was putting on shows in my... That's all I ever did. It's all I can remember doing and still do it now. Nothing's changed. Miming with a hairbrush. Exactly, all of that. <laughs> Standing on the front porch, miming Olivia Newton-John's magic, hoping people would pay to come and see me. <laughs> so weird. So you obviously then drift into musical theatre or yeah. you chase musical theatre. Well, yeah, and it's weird how it's a different time because I think my first job I ever got was Sesame Street Live and I must have seen it in the paper. They used to have auditions yeah, in the paper. absolutely. And it was just a cattle call and I was, at, I was in year... 11 or 12 at school must have been you know it must have been year 12 and I saw the audition in the paper and I just went for the audition and got the job so that got me into the business and then I met and you get your equity card yeah exactly and I also did a job it was a bus and truck tour I used to do suit work Yogi Bear before I left school and I'd met Laura Harrison who'd done Anything Goes and I thought she was the best thing ever because she'd been in musicals she was something and she actually taught me how to do a wing time step so Gay Royston do you know Gay Royston? No, no yeah and they were in the business and I just thought they were the bee's knees Michelle Guthrie do you know her? oh yes yes, yes. yeah she was I was in a bus with all of those women oh right yeah who were all doing in doing suit work yeah and they were in their early, obviously in their early 20s or mid-20s at that time, yeah. which is really young, which at 16, they seemed like they were really old. <laughs> and it just, that inspired me more to want to do it. It's really weird how you meet people like that that inspire you to think, oh, I'm going to be that one day. So what was the big first big commercial musical you did? Hot Cheese Shuffle. Right, okay. Yeah. So that was uh, with... Uh, David Atkins. Yes, it was. Rhonda Birchmore, Rudy Brickmore. <laughs> but in the original production? Yes, I wasn't in it originally. Right. Uh, it was on at the Hill Centre first. And then when it got picked up to go touring to Melbourne, I joined it when it went to Melbourne. So it was like they'd in done. The early a, days. Yeah, it yeah, was, yeah, they'd only done six weeks at the Hill Centre, but it was like this new, fresh idea. and it went, it went on to huge success. Yeah, oh, it went boom. So did you stay with it the entire run? I did it up until the West End. I got to go to the West End with it. And then I left the show and then I went back to it a few times because it kept going and I'd go back. I did, an, I think, another show and then I went back and did it again because it went on for a good four years, I think. Yeah. But it seemed like a long time, but I think, actually I think it was only four years. Four years seemed like a lot in your early 20s, though. But I guess a show like that provided you a training oh. right, and learning on the job. Do you know what? Apprenticeship. It, it's funny. Like, this wouldn't happen now, I don't think, in musical theatre. But all I, when I got the job, all I was taught was the routines and I was handed a video cassette of the show. And I just assumed it was my job to learn it. Right? So I'd sit at home with the video and mapped it all out, rehearsed it all on my own. I'd went on once planned because Dean had to go do another job. It's Dean Perry. Yep, Dean Perry. And so I'd rehearsed that to go on. Then we went, the show toured in Sydney and it went to Adelaide. And it was in Sydney for 12 weeks, never went on. Got to Adelaide, it was the second preview. I was sitting there playing my little Game Boy because that's all I could do because I was so bored. And um, Sheldon says, oh, Aaron, you're meant to be on for Chris today. Chris has gone home sick. And I go, what? And it's a 15 minute call. Never done his part. Throw me in a costume, on I go, know what I'm doing. They're shocked. 
And they're like, how do you know that? They said, well, because isn't that my job? And then the following day was a matinee and then Adam Garcia got sick. Never done that part before. On I went, knew what I was doing. No rehearsal. Because that's an extraordinary skill being a, a swing. I yeah. Guess called, isn't it? Where you're learning many, many different and parts. And that's what I'm grateful, even though it's not really, someone should teach me that stuff, really have a job and teach me that. But I'm glad it taught me to be a worker and just do the work. Even if no one asks you, do the work. It's the best training I've ever had. And because of that, I got other things because of reputation. And it's not about, I'm not the most talented person in the world. I just had a reputation for working hard. So did you enjoy music theatre? It's quite gruelling, isn't it? Eight yeah. shows a week. Do you know what's funny? Now that I'm out of it, I'm glad I don't do it anymore. Because right. I, I, eight shows a week, because I like to be creative, it's quite stifling because you're stuck you're a creative person doing a creative job that's fundamentally no longer creative once you're in it. No, you're on repeat, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, and I'm not that kind of person. Right. It's, not, it's not for me. It makes me unhappy. Yeah. Even though I love doing that, that grudge is not good for me. And for some people it's not. For some people it's fine. But for me it's not great. Now, I believe you uh, met uh, the great Faith Prince, Broadway star. Yes, I did. And you, you learned certain things from her. She changed my life, actually. Yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, it was funny because I teach at ED5 and she was out here performing with Anthony Warlow and she loves to teach. It's the thing that she does on the side. And um, they said, oh, Faith Prince has contacted the school and wants to do a masterclass, but she can't get here. Would you drive her in your car? And I said, really? <laughs> so here I had Faith Prince in my car and then she did her masterclass and she just changed the way I look at my career in general because I'd only ever worked for people or auditioned never asked to do anything or did anything for me and there were things I wanted to do and she took one thing she taught me is always ask but respect the the answer don't have a sense of entitlement um what were the other things being a singer not being the best singer but being a storyteller is the most important thing it's not about being a great singer and I'm not the best singer but I can tell a story tell a story and it was just all things um, doing work for yourself is work, working for someone else. So I do a lot of stuff for me now, not just for other people. So I get satisfaction in things that I enjoy and want to do. Because if you want to do something and no one's going to offer it to you, you can do it yourself mm. if you're willing to do the work. Yeah. So I learned all that. It's really amazing. Did you enjoy auditioning? Was that because that's a, a necessary part of the job, isn't it? Do you know what's funny? I was always terrible at it, and it's so funny. But I can't use my Witches of Eastwick audition for an example. That was the last show I did. I did my audition, and I'd worked for the choreographer before, Stephen Meir, who did Crazy for You, and he wasn't at the audition. But I did my audition. I was terrible, right? <laughs> And I didn't get the job, but someone had obviously pulled out and I got the job on recommendation. So I ended up getting the show in the end. And then I was in rehearsals for the show and then the director, I can't remember his name actually, um, said to me, oh, you were really quite fantastic, but your audition was terrible. And it was always a terrible audition. Was but Eric, Eric, wasn't it? I can't remember. Eric, um, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, I yeah. might've been the resident director right, yeah, that okay, came yeah, out. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it's so long ago. Yeah. But I remember he said to me, you were actually really fantastic, but your audition was terrible. I also always say, auditions were hit and miss for me because yeah. it's not the real environment. No. Now I have the skill now. If I go to audition, I can turn it on now where I never had that 
skill to switch on a performance in a cold, unperformance room. Yeah. But when I'm on stage, I could. It's really weird because it is, I find auditioning, it's a different... It's a very unnatural. You go into this yeah. big room, there's a panel of and ten... And they're asking you to be authentic and natural yeah. in an unnatural environment. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really weird. So it's a skill to be able to do that. Yeah. And sometimes people audition well and are shit on stage. Mm-hmm. Can I say that? Yeah, of course, absolutely. <laughs> but um, it's true. So, so uh, Hot Two Shuffle, Witches of Eastwick, what else did you do? Crazy For You, Chicago, Showboat, Me and My Girl... So you're working with the the choreography of some great um, practitioners too, you know, Anne Reinking with Chicago and Susan Stroman and Crazy For You and Showboat. And all those things, you realise subconsciously what you learn from those people and you don't even know you're learning stuff. And it just teaches you about artistry. Like, and what I loved about Susan Stroman's stuff is that all movement has a purpose. What does it mean? Does it feel human, which I love? And it's, you know, I've carried all those things with me my whole career, I think. And you can't learn that in a classroom, no. I don't think. It's really interesting. And just watching other performers, how they work. I was a very, quite funny, especially in my, I didn't, hot show, I don't think I said boo. I just sit back and watch. But I learnt so much just by listening. It's amazing what you can learn. Yeah. And, I, and then you can just apply it. Osmosis. Yeah, it's really yeah. weird. Yeah. It's important to listen, isn't it? And watch oh, in a rehearsal room. It's yeah. so funny. That's why I think... All those people that talk, what you're missing out on. It's like this. Uh, oh, yes, talking in a <laughs> yeah, in the rehearsal think, room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but you're, you're actually missing out. Watching is like, it's even watching people do their art. You can learn something. Yeah. And you might not even know you're learning it, but you can. Yeah. It's obs- ob- by osmosis, I believe. So let's go back to drag. Yeah. I've, I've heard that, you know, for any troupe of drag performers, it's a big asset to have a choreographer in the group. Yes. Obviously, big tick for you. Yeah. What do you like with the sewing machine? Oh, shit out. <laughs> <laughs> so who, where does Minnie Cooper get her frocks from? Well, this is the thing. This is where the budgets, when we were talking about budgets earlier, most of my budget goes on to fabric and costume making. I have someone that makes stuff for me, and they, they do do it for me at a very good price, but it's still expensive. Like, that's where all the money goes. It gets chewed up. So basically, the, all the wigs and normally the music... And all of that, I pay for out of my own money. So for weeks, I'm probably still trying to make up the money I've spent. Yet the club is making money off what I've put on. Mm. Like, it's I've, the, the older I've gotten, the more I struggle with that. So I've pulled back from producing shows in clubs a lot because of that very reason. So do the costumes uh, normally last after the season? Or does yeah, the season the, really sort of... Well, that's the thing. You think, well, we get to keep the costumes after it's over. It's sort of like what we get as payment. Yep. But half the time, they're... They're all sweaty and rotten. And yes. Like, and they don't get looked after very well. Right. Once that show's on, it's on, they, that's it. If it breaks, it breaks, don't fix it. <laughs> we don't have someone in wardrobe that comes around and fixes everything. So when you produce a show, because mm. um, you played, a lot of your shows played at ARC for a, a long yeah, time. Yeah, I did that for 15 years on a Thursday night. Wow. So, so how long would the season be? How many? It sh- varies. Just It depends how, well, if it was bringing people in, they'd keep it running longer. But when it's, when the numbers start going low, that's when you put on a new show. So it was, some went for six months, some went for 12, just depending on how popular it was. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. So that's when you'd start to make money off what you did. So what's involved in preparing a, a show like that? Obviously, a lot. You've, got to go fabric. you've got to fabric shopping. This is the one thing I love about drag. It's taught me to be self-sufficient. Like, if I can style it, I can brush a wig up. I can go buy fabrics, know where to buy cheap stuff. I know 
creatively teaches you how to put things together that I never would have learnt. Putting music together, structuring music, editing music, um, learning structure of highs and lows of entertainment. Like by failing in the clubs, I've learnt that skill of highs and lows, and and it becomes like a, oh, it's almost like. I know how to structure a show now to make things work yeah. and what sort of things to look for, which it, become, it becomes easier because you've failed. And I think you do got to fail to learn how to do things better. Right. And your failures, which I've learned getting older, are the best things you can ever have. Right. You've got to fail because right. if you don't fail, you're not going to get any better. Are the audiences that are there in the club, you know, they've been there for a few hours. They've probably had one or two sherbets um, and whatever uh, that goes with that. Um, do they appreciate the shows or is it just colour and movement? Do well, you do you know what? I think the gay culture, in, some people really love it. Like just the other night we had this girl. She, I think she tipped me $50 and that was just me. She was from Adelaide. She just kept throwing. She just loved us. It was really sweet. But then you'll have some person who'll stand in front of the stage with their back to you and not look at you and how or bizarre. put their dress. Yeah, how bizarre. And I think, do they not know I'm here? But then you do know because you can sense that you know what's going on. And I just find it so rude. And I really struggle. I try to be as polite as I can, but it does. That's the one thing I can't stand. I always say, you know, I don't mind if you don't want to watch or dance in front of us and not pay attention. Just don't do it right there. There's all this other room you can do it. Just don't do it there because yeah. it's just rude. But and, but people don't like that, even when you say it politely, because people don't like being told they're doing something wrong. But it's pretty rude, isn't it? But it's like standing up at the Lyric Theatre or the Capitol and, and having your back to it's the weird. show, isn't it's it? It's really weird. Yeah. I once had a girl, quite funny, she held up her phone in the middle of the stage to take a selfie with her friend while we were doing the show. So where well, I was about to do a cross, I took a phone and put it in my bra. <laughs> and it was like, like and the, the security footage is quite funny because it's like so quick, it's like whoop, in there. And then... I was doing the show so she couldn't get a hold of me and I went off for a quick change and the man said, you'll just have to wait till the end of the show and she went psycho. And I, I always try to make it lighthearted and fun and educate people because yep. I think, oh, you know, phones are a new thing. Yep. I said, oh, sweetheart, you, you know, you were holding your phone. She goes, no, give me my phone. And she was all aggressive. And I said, well, if you're not going to be polite, don't. I'm not going to come back. And I said, well, if you're not going to be polite, don't. And then I could feel myself getting hit and so I just gave her a phone back. And then the audience booed her as she left. <laughs> And then she wrote a letter trying to get me fired, but oh, in, but not taking any responsibility for the phone. Yeah. And then in the end, she was drunk. A friend wrote me a great letter. So I was saying, I took some responsibility. I probably shouldn't have taken your phone, but I was taking the danger out because I could have knocked it. Two weeks later, someone did the same thing, but because I was sort of in trouble, yeah. I sort of pushed their hand out to get their phone out. And what happened? Broke their phone. Oh, dear. And that's exactly what I was trying to avoid. Yes, yes. So, so you damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're the drag Paddy LePone. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, I'm not as aggressive as her. But, uh, you know, Polly Petrie is the drag Paddy. She screams at them. I don't scream. I try to keep it, make it lighthearted and fun. I go, I'm an educator. <laughs> but it's tough sometimes. Yeah. Someone said to me once, oh, it's cultural difference. <laughs> no, it's just rude. Yeah, it's yeah, really absolutely. weird. So you don't mind them if they, they film the show? No, that doesn't bother me. Right. Because that's intellectual property. Really. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind that they do that. And I don't mind if people are having photos. So I think it brings a bit of joy to their lives. Yeah. I just hate it when they grab you and pull you without asking. You are a bit like a 
just a bit of property sometimes. They don't treat you like a human. Yeah, yeah. It's really weird. So what makes a good drag performer? Talent. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know what makes a good drag performer is someone that's authentic to themselves and is an art. There's there's artistry involved. And if you're authentic and know what you like and you commit to that and it's good, people will like it. Yeah. And that's how you become unique and successful, I believe. If you try to be like some other drag queen, you're just a carbon copy and there's no soul to it. Be yourself, everyone else is taken. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. So what's the impact on the body clock? It must be like being a flight attendant, is it? Or yeah, do you know what? You're working all hours in the morning. and I much prefer I don't think I could be a morning person. Because right. I, I, I was always like that. I've never been a morning person, always a night person. So theatre and all that has always been good for me. It doesn't bother me. Right. The only sometimes it's hard when I have to get up early to work and then work late. That can be taxing. Right. But because I've got grit, I'm a worker. So I just suck it up. Figure the law. It's all going to finish sometime. I'll get to rest when I'm dead. So, what time do you rise of a day then? Uh, when you're working, if you're working into the morning, about ten, right. t- ten o'clock is normally. Right. But now I don't do as many late nights as I used to. Right. Can you go home and go straight to sleep, or you got to wind oh, down like most? I've got to wind down. Yeah. yeah. So if I used to do arc, I used to finish at two, so I wouldn't go to bed till three thirty-four. But then I'd sleep in on Friday and then work Friday night. And normally Sunday was my sleeping day, right. if I didn't have to work. Who were your drag mothers or aunties, the, the, the drag queens that guided and taught you? Chelsea Bunn. Right. You, do you know what I think is the best? I had help-ish, but I think it's better to be self-sufficient and learn on your own, because then if you do it yourself, then you can do everything yourself. I think it's best. It's good to have guidance, but I think it's better to do it all on your own. And not get too much help and be self-sufficient. So about learning how to apply makeup. I mean, uh, as a theatrical, you'd already done that. I yeah, but you but know, this is a special oh, kind of makeup. Do you know what? I, look, I looked like a bastard for years. Yeah, I was never very good at it. And, and when I got busy, it was really hard too, because I'd slap it on, and, that, and then I look back at photos, and I'm like, oh, I've gotten better. I wouldn't say I'm great, but I've just gotten better. Yeah. But there's YouTube now. All the young kids come out looking perfect. Right. It's like you, you can just learn it off the internet. <laughs> but I think coming out looking like a bastard is part of the fun. <laughs> what has a, a show like RuPaul's Drag Race done for the scene? Do you think that's been a... It's certainly raised the profile of drag, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, which I think is, it's, it's done great things. The one bad thing for us, if you've not been on that show, people don't think you're very good. It's, it's quite weird, the power of television. And that's why I did Australia's Got Talent because I thought, oh, I've wanted, if you put yourself on television, people view you in a different way once you're on telly, and it's true. They really do. Once you're on telly, people's perception of you changes. You don't change, but their perception does. Right. It's the power of television. Yeah. What I love about RuPaul, it brings it into people's homes and it normalises it. Where before, I think we were just, it was like a fetish, where now people see it as actual artistry. And performance, yeah. Right. Did the shows get reviewed very often? No, and never. No? No. no? no. Just by the punters who yeah, were Yeah, just say that. You know what? <laughs> they don't tell you when they like it, but they'll tell you when they don't like it. <laughs> oh, it's the same with everything, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, yeah. But I, so I guess your recognition comes from, you know, awards nights like the Divas, the Drag Industry Variety Awards. Yeah, I've been very lucky in that 
respect. I've earned a lot of recognition, yeah. Yeah. But you're obviously appreciated by your peers as well. Yeah, and I think... And it's just... I've always worked hard. And because I had performance skill coming into drag of doing musicals and stuff, I I have a skill set of putting on entertainment. I'm not learning that on the job. I know how to structure something. Yeah. And that's part of it. Did you ever get to Lay Girls? No. no. Oh, see it or be in yeah, it? Yeah, see it. See yes, it. No, I, I, I'll be I, too young to be in I it. I saw it when I was... It must have been... I must have been in about 17. I saw it in the cross. It was. It, it must have been near the end. I yeah. remember going. I can't, it was with dancing school I went, which is old. I remember going. I don't remember too much about it, but I do remember going. I remember Monique Kelly. Yes, I remember. I, yeah. I went once and I remember my... Yeah, you can't, you can't... She's something you, someone what, you can't forget. What a legend. Yeah, totally. Uh, how has Oxford Street changed over the years, 16 oh. years that you've been uh, frequenting as, as many? There's have been a few changes. The lockout laws has really killed nightlife, and I think it's killing the heartbeat of the city, just in general. And marriage equality has changed, yep. a bit, especially in the last year. Because so I hear gay people say, oh, there's all these drunk girls here. And I go, hey, guys, this is what equality feels like. Like, you can't ask to be a part of something. Absolutely. And I do believe that's why it's... We don't need to conform together like we used to, as in all the gays need to stick together. They all grow up and they all go out in the, their suburbs and stick with their friends now. It's more normalised. So that's a one another big change, I've noticed. Which brings in the straight people, and they enjoy drag shows much more than the gays do. More appreciative. Yeah, yeah. the gays are a bit desensitised to it because right. it's always there. It's always of a standard. And that's the one thing I don't think... A lot of people, when they go away, they realise what they get in the club scene here. They don't get... There's nothing like it anywhere in the world. Um, in the standard. 20 years ago, you know, great venues like the Albury and the Imperial were hosting great drag shows, etc. Are there the venues now for the no, drag shows? No, there's not. It's a very, and because there's not, it's not breeding new talent either because right. there's nowhere for them to grow and blossom. It's like, it's quite sad, really. I never thought of that. Yeah, so do you yeah. think there's a dearth of baby drags sort of coming into the scene? Yeah, well, they, they are there, but they don't get a chance to grow because there's no... The Imperial's actually been really good. I see a lot of young kids performing there, which I think is really good because it nurtures creativity because mm. if you don't have an outlet, you can't, it doesn't grow. Well, you learn by working an audience, yeah. don't you? Yeah, and you can't, creativity can't grow unless it's shown. Yeah. I believe that. Right. Another alter ego of yours, um, you do a lot of choreography and, yeah, and direction. You've just finished a, a terrific, successful uh, youth production of A Chorus mm. Line. What do you enjoy about directing? Um... I don't know what I enjoy about it. I've always... I just love watching people be good. I love watching talent grow. I love watching people achieve things they never thought they could. I I just... I don't know. I just love performing. I have a real passion for it. Well, I guess harking back to that kid in your, yeah. in your bedroom oh, who would produce shows every night. It's the being same Being able to grow up and play with real people and sets oh, and music. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. I've done nothing but that my whole life so for me this is the one thing I've learnt used to struggle with but not so much anymore no one has the same passion about it as I do some people do but I have a real passion for it. I just live and breathe and it's who I am it's what I'm meant to do yeah. I'm not meant to do anything else because if I was I would be doing it 
then I'm very happy to be doing what I do. Fantastic. You do cabaret. That's another. That's a new thing for me. New thing. That was the thing that was sort of inspired by Faith Prince because I like singing. I like storytelling, and I just like the idea of telling my life through song in a funny kind of way. So it's very autobiographical. Yeah. Your cabaret. Yeah, I use musical theatre songs to express what it was like me growing up. It's so that's sort of what it's about. And you do that as Minnie, don't you? Yes, I do. But then reference back to my life of growing up, loving all these things. So, and, and that's, we've got a lovely venue here called Claire's Kitchen. Kitchen. Yeah, which is, salon. and the way that came about was through Jeremy Brennan. Yep. I was just talking to him and this is one of the things when you talk about something, he just said, I said, I've always, because I had the idea, the show's called From Chorus Boy to Leading Lady. Like, you know, I was a chorus boy, now I'm a leading lady. And I had the idea for a while and it was Jeremy Brennan who I said, oh, I've got this idea. And he said, well, let's do it. And then that forced me into putting, producing the show and putting it up. So it's been slowly developing over the last year and I'm about to do it at the Sydney Fringe in September. So I've got it all together. At Claire's? No, it's going to be on at the City Tats. It's part of the Sydney Fringe Festival. Right, right. Yeah. So I'm going out on my first sort of own producing sort of thing. So how does the cabaret form differ from drag? I guess there are overlaps. Well, drag is sort of a cabaret performance, but I don't sing when I do drag shows in the clubs. That's the difference, is that I'm using my own voice when I do that. And people are also surprised because they didn't realise I could sing, but if you don't show it, how do people know that you can? And this is what I mean about what is great from what I learned from Faith. There's all these things that I know I think I can do but I've got nowhere to showcase it so how have I done it I've done it myself to showcase it and people are surprised which is I find funny and I think oh, I've always been this but I've just not been able to show it it's really weird there's another skill set too uh, lip syncing oh that that's a special skill isn't it oh I mean, do you know it's funny if you can lip sync well I think it makes you a better actor because you've got to understand how to act without voice and listening to emotion in a song and interpreting that because I've seen some drag and I look at drag sometimes and I go, oh, so I look like that's really bad. But then I see someone that's really good at it and I go, oh, it can capture you and make you feel something. Because I guess it's, it's you've got it's to tap weird. into the rhythm and, and Rhythm. breathing pattern. Yeah, and, it's uh, weird. And it's, it's, if they're a great singer, it really helps. If they're a good storyteller singer, it really helps, I believe. Yeah. Do you sing along with the track that you're... No, miming? not no? really, No. no. Some people do. I might whisper a bit, but not really. Right. Because I like to... I don't like to do that because I like to feel the hear their voice and feel like it's coming from me. It's really weird. And think what that singer is thinking when they're singing those lyrics. It's quite fascinating. It's escapism. It's pure fantasy. Illusion. Drag magic, I call it. Drag magic. (laughs) Now, uh, Minnie Cooper, Aaron, tomorrow night as part of the Sydney International Cabaret Festival, Mm -hmm. you are hosting the the Late Night Cabaret Lounge? Yes, which is sponsored by Moe, so we'll be having lots of great champagne. Everyone will be really drunk and probably think I'm fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) So this is taking place after, because there's a big gala, the Cabaret Gala at Angel Place. And then afterwards, we can all go to yeah, it's the like Seymour Centre, is it? Or yeah, it's at the Seymour Centre. I don't know what room it's in. What have they called it? Have they called it a name? I should check that up, actually. Because there's a whole of, there's capriccios and there's a whole lot yeah. of showrooms. Yeah, so it's a place for people to have like an after show drink and just relax and listen to Stephen on the keys and me sing a few show tunes that I've put together. So what time will that start? That's at 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. 
And I think there's a ten dollar admission or something. Yeah, if you've got a ticket. If you've got a ticket. Right. I don't know how much it costs if you don't. I know if you've been to the festival, it costs ten dollars to go in, right. which I think is pretty good. Well, I'm going to the gala, and um, I'll call I, in and see. I think I'm worth ten dollars. Absolutely, ten, <laughs> ten, only ten. Most of the time you get me for free. You don't need to pay for it. Yeah. But it's ex- exciting, isn't it? Um, yeah. Trevor's baby of the um, the Cabaret Festival, I think. That's what one. I admire about Trevor. He has, He's the perfect example of just having a vision and going out and doing it yourself, not waiting for anyone. Yeah. He just, that's incredible. I do admire that. I wish I could be more like that. I'm, I don't think I'm as... Um, Confident? Yeah, well, I don't know. These, yeah, probably that. Or a cutthroat's the wrong word. Because no. I don't think he's determined. Cut, determined, yeah. yeah, to make things happen. Yeah, Which and sometimes you don't know how to make things happen, but it's getting to talk to the right people, and it's funny how once you talk to the right person, something can happen, and you just got to ask. It's okay to ask. Most time, most time, people say yes. I found right. it's really, really. Most often, people go, oh, yeah, all right. Well, I don't that, know. That's because I come with the reputation, or but most often, the time, people say yes. It's really weird. I've not been told no since I've started asking very often. Most often time people say yes. Well, thank you for saying yes to this conversation. That's um, okay. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Have you had fun? Yeah, I have. Always have fun. <laughs> Thanks, um, Aaron slash Manny. Yeah. See you on Friday. Aaron is great fun, a lovely human being, and one of the country's superior drag artists. Do take any opportunity to see Minnie Cooper in action. You won't be disappointed. Tomorrow evening would be ideal. Friday, July 5th, the Seymour Centre and Late Night Cabaret following the Sydney International Cabaret Festival Gala Opening Concert. Tomorrow we also begin a series of special editions on stages, conversing with various artists who are presenting work in the festival. Tomorrow we speak to the brains and heart behind the Sydney International Cabaret Festival, the Artistic Director, Mr Trevor Ashley. He'll provide a rundown of the festival content and discuss the wonderful art form of cabaret. As always, I'm Peter Ayers, and thanks for listening to Stages. Stages.